Welcome to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. We talk about the intersection of parenting and technology. Everything you need to know about raising kids in the digital age. This is Parenting Bites. Hi, welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy, co-founder of KidsViews.com. I'm here in the studio today with Amy Oztan of AmyEverAfter.com. Hello. I don't even make fun of it anymore. Thanks. And It's uh, <laughs> because you can find it now. I know. Uh, Andrea Smith, who's in the studio with us today, our technology guru, fresh off doing a segment on WABC. WABC TV. Yeah, yes. it was fun. It was. Tech gifts. Holiday tech gifts. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I, I th- think you have one sitting on the one desk. with me for my bite. bite of the week. Not gifts for us, just for the bite. <laughs> so today um, we're talking about something that's all over the news, ironically enough, because that's what we're going to be talking about, um, in light of the election and, and um, maybe how the election happened. <laughs> we're going to be talking about fake news. And we have a special guest with us today who has been with us before. We have Michelle Chula Lipkin, who is the director of Namely, which is the National Association for Media Literacy Education. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Thank you. Um, and Michelle, we're just going to be handling this topic today, and then we'll have our bites of the week. So we're going to jump right into this because it is such a big one. It's such a big it's one so that important. I emailed so Michelle, depressing. and I'm like, "Will you come on to talk about this?" She's like, "Oh my god!" I was just going to email you and say, "Can I come on the show and talk about this?" I can't talk about this enough. This is like, this is like your mothership, Michelle. This is like Michelle has it's, been talking about this for so long. And obviously, media literacy, I mean, namely, has been in existence for 20 years. 20 years. So this has now taken a new turn, this idea of media literacy, because of social media and because it's obviously so easy now to fake news. It used to just be like the National Enquirer, and you know, where you knew like UFOs landed, Elvis is back, like you could right. spot you knew it a mile you, away. You needed to be a little bit skeptical. Yeah, but Bat right. Boy is real. <laughs> <laughs> From the sewers, alligators in the sewers. Yes. But then cable started right and that was sort of the beginning of mainstream fake news i would say or or news with a perspective instead of neutral well i think the 24-hour news channel changed Mm -hmm. the landscape inherently uh there isn't 24 hours of news so they had to create commentary they had to create editorial shows, you know, and so much of what we see on these news channels isn't actually news. Right. So that's where the line started blurring, uh, that people who watch, you know, Sean Hannity or watch Rachel Maddow, you know, they are they have a very specific point of view that they're proving. And it's uh, it's a different point of view than a traditional news show. And, you know, now with social media, it's just absolutely blown up. And no one the lines are so blurred that no one knows uh, what's true. I mean, Oxford Dictionary said post-truth was the word of 2016. Ugh, right, it's like truthiness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But Stephen I think Colbert's. there was a big jump from editorial, you know, from going on, I guess, Fox News and MSNBC at the time and saying, this is news, even though it's only my opinion. You know, like it was okay for Congress people to get up there and give their opinion and what happened, I th- I believe, is that people started thinking, well, I saw it on TV. It's news. It's true. Because Michelle Bachman said, you know, the cervical cancer vaccine causes more cancer. And you they know, would so say, it's true. They would say it and they wouldn't be questioned about right. it. Right. There Nobody was never a question, them. never to never any, can you prove that? Can yeah. you back it up? And so it kind of started this snowball where people would hear something and think, well, I heard somebody, you know, important say it. It must be true. 
and then segue to this, you know, all the news stories in your Facebook news feed that are, are even start out as just untrue, just for the sake of being untrue. How did we get there? Well, I think personally and from my conversations with media literacy folks around the country, I, I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that all of this happened too fast for us mm-hmm. to figure it out as we were going, mm-hmm. right? So there is such a flow of information that is beyond our capacity to deal with. And we have not established the social norms. We have not established the new rules when it comes to journalism. We haven't established any of it because we've been so mired in it, right? Like we have been experiencing it as it's happened. And I wish we could just pause for like a year and just come up with how we're going to handle this information overload. I think part of the problem is it's just happened so fast. I think part of the problem is for whatever reason, large platforms like Facebook did not anticipate themselves being um, a news feed. You know, and, you know, we can all say, how did you not see this coming? they say they're not a media company. Right, they say they're not a media company. They say there is a tech company. And there's something to be said about the fact that they might not have even seen what was coming and the fact that so much news would fall within our feeds and that's how so many people get their information. Um, I think that, but I do think there's been this general blurred lines and it's gone, it's happened gradually and then all of a sudden it's just sped up with social media. And um, this election cycle has been you know, so hard, but I say it all the time to my colleagues, like it's really been a gift for media literacy educators because it has just shown so clearly how important media literacy, news literacy um, is for um, for students and for ev- for everyone. And, you know, there was just this study released from Stanford that basically, you know, they interviewed 7,800 middle schoolers to college students, and what they found, in their own words, was shocking and dismaying, the inability of these students to tell fake news. Um, The thing that surprises me is that we're surprised by this, because we don't teach them how to distinguish between um, entertainment and news and and satire and all of this stuff. I don't think adults can. I I don't think the president-elect knows how. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's a whole other podcast. I mean, so I think part of the shocking thing about this, too, was what big business fake news is. Yes. Right? They had that interview. They showed those guys in Macedonia. Macedonia. I mean, this and part of that where Facebook, I think, is a little culpable is that they made so much money off the election because Mm -hmm. these fake news stories weren't like happening and people were sharing them. They were ads. They were being bought space on Facebook so that they would be shared more and more so that they could monetize it. So Facebook's making money off of people placing these in your feed and then, you know, as people just start sharing it just takes on a life of their own. They don't have to buy that space. But there's so much money being exchanged and it used to be people used to come down on the network so the fact that they profiteered so much off of political ads and I know like Les Moonves took heat because yeah. he was like, it's gonna be a great year for us. Like, you know, how much look how much time that's nothing compare to because no one can break into the CBS evening news and say guess what just happened like five UFOs landed on Hillary Clinton's house and she's harboring aliens but you could write that news story stick it in the Facebook feed to look legit make up a fake news outlet 
Well, there, there's a really interesting article that I'll link to. They were interviewing this guy who is a Democrat who started out, he swears, wanting to write something so outrageous that he could spread it around and then say, ha ha, look how stupid you all are. This is obviously fake. Why are you believing it? He did this and suddenly found himself making $10,000 a month. Right. So he just kept writing more. <laughs> and he forgot about that whole other Ethics, whole right. plan. <laughs> yeah. Because I think what happens is, you know, people see something that, that backs up their sentiment, right? It, you know, it reinforces what they believe in. So they're like, oh, cool, I'm going to share this again because this is exactly what I'm talking about, this this fake, you know, allegation or whatever. And, you know, let's not forget with, with headlines, with Twitter, um, People share things based on the headline. Like they don't. Oh, right, yeah. they there don't read was a study at how many people actually clicked on the headline to see if even the right story was there. They just shared the headline because it looked and wrote interesting. comments based on the headline. Yes. Had arguments on Facebook based on the I headline. I went through this in my own feed where I posted something that I had read, and you really didn't know the point of it unless you actually read it. And I posted it with a snarky comment, and almost everybody in my feed and everybody who shared it took it the wrong way. Yeah. And I was like, they didn't read it. it. Didn't I had to amend the post? I was like, it didn't occur to me that you people weren't going to read this before you commented <laughs> on it. There was and that great that's what piece happens. in HuffPost where they, yeah. you know, he claimed uh, Bernie Sanders could be president with this one yeah. loophole. Yep. And then if you opened it and you, after you get through the first paragraph, it's basically like, I'm lying, guys. This is the purpose of this. Like, And, and I think that's a really good exercise for people. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of the interesting things for me, and you said it, Rebecca, just like, Facebook being culpable. I I think that that's one of the interesting debates we need to have as a society is who's responsible and who is accountable because there's so many points to this. There's the people that are writing the content, the gentleman you said, the people in Macedonia. So they're one level of culpability, right? And then it's the platform. So that gives the these these fake news sources voice. But then there's the user and there's person that originally posts it and then the person who then shares it. And, you know, I think that there could be an argument to be made that every single part of that system is is account should be right. accountable, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, for my work, obviously I'm trying to educate the user. I'm trying to edge you know, I don't think you should I think the first thing you should ask yourself when you look at anything online is how do I know this is true? And that's where you start. Like we have to get to a point where we start with this is probably not true. <laughs> Which right. is so sad because yeah, you used yeah. to be able to read news or turn on yeah. the evening news and know that it was true. And you still but can prob- yeah. if you're looking at sites that you know are reputable. Right. I mean, most but of there's the- still But there's always bias. There's, there's, there's always, always bias. bias. But when we're talking about the blatantly fake articles, I mean, the, the, they were spread much more than, than things from real media. So I read a great piece on the history of political campaigns and satire and whatever. And they've talked about um, Alexander Hamilton, and they talked about the Jefferson Adams um, campaign, mm-hmm. and that Thomas Jefferson had people under pen names writing up pamphlets that John Adams was a hermaphrodite. <laughs> and this was distributed and printed and put everywhere. Like, this isn't new, and that went everywhere. And now you have people discussing, where do you even fact check that? He has to go show his genitals? Like, what are you <laughs> supposed to do with that? And so I think there's also a little bit of we all history just repeats itself over and over again the difference is this like the level that you can get to now with social media and the way you can spread it but like 
this fake news spreading and the dirty dealing and the lying and the like this has existed forever. And they're saying and they accused Thomas Jefferson of like sleeping with his slave and whatever. And he was. Yeah. Like it wasn't a lie. <laughs> like, right? We all I know think now. that we have to, you know, we need to take a moment um and recognize that there are major changes that need to be made within journalism, within press coverage, within uh because of social media. And I don't think I think our press needs to be a little bit more responsible, um, calling out the fake um, conversation and 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 being more accountable to the truth. Um, and I think that we need to really change the way we think about news. And that, to me, starts you know in the schools and at home. And and we can't. We have to slow down. Like we have to slow somehow slow down the pace of the share without reading you know like if you don't have time to verify then don't share it like just as simple as that like that's the only thing we can do is just don't share it like if you can't find it somewhere else you know i would say two other places that are somewhere in the reputable range it's probably not right that are well you know it used to be you'd get an email and you're like or my sister would send me some ridiculous thing and say is this true i keep getting this photoshop and all i would do is you know type snopes.com you know find it and say no and by the way you can do this too (laughs) just go and check don't forward it don't send it don't share it check I think we're a little beyond Snopes right now because I don't think Snopes so, can keep up. I, who can keep up <laughs> no with every claim? Up, it's true. I, and, and I think, and, and Amy, I see this happening to you on your Facebook feed. You know, you try to call it out and you try to defend it, and then you get twenty people blasting you saying, "Whoa, whoa!" You know, and this bit of fake news, and the, and and defending yeah. their point yeah, with they, all the other fake right. allegations. They think that they can back it it's up like with whack-a-mole. other stuff that they can't verify. Yeah. So if you're saying this isn't true, it's well, but she did this and she did, you know, and and all of this stuff just because they've heard it, read it, seen it, pull it together and make their point. And that's what I think has to change. Well, I, I think, think that's that, hard because I think what you said initially is right, which is people look for things that confirm oh, sure. confirmation their bias. Yeah. And, yeah. and the difference with kids is hopefully they don't have that bias yet, right? So when you can teach kids to do this, that's like our only hope in my mind because adults are looking for confirmation So we're bias. doomed. Yeah, they, they want that. The adults want it. But kids, if we can teach them to be more critical, if we can, and, and kids are naturally a little more, you know, skeptical, skeptical and, of the man, you know, yeah, <laughs> like or they, or they should be. And that seems to me the place it begins. And what's scary to me is the only thing you hear in schools is don't use Wikipedia as a source. Like these poor kids are like drilled into. And at mm-hmm. this point, Wikipedia is kind of a good. decent source it's, yeah, for many. A really things. good source. Not so actually. bad. Yeah, right. it gets a bad name. It shouldn't. Exactly. Yeah. And so there, you have like librarians who a lot of this falls to, who that's their thing, right? They're worried about plagiarism. They're worried about Wikipedia. They're worried about very basic things for these kids doing research. This whole idea of fake news and checking sources, I don't think has ever been part of the curriculum. No, and I think that's a really good point because one of the things I want to see us do just within the education space is... First of all, li- libraries are under attack. We know that. And so many schools don't have libraries, and so many schools that do have libraries don't have librarians. You know, this is a problem because a lot of their work was on this like overarching, like how to research, how to fact mm-hmm. check, all of this stuff, which is so vital that sometimes teachers who are doing a subject don't have time to do. Um, the problem is, though, it, when I speak to teachers, is that teachers.
teachers don't even know how to teach it anymore. Like they are struggling because the stuff that they used to teach forever doesn't play anymore. It doesn't work anymore. And I think part of part of the issue is not only the blatantly false um, news sources, but it's almost the ones that are a little bit true and a little bit fake Mm -hmm. that are the worst like offenders because there's some piece in there in those articles that well this is true so then should I believe this too it's very confusing and I think that's what I'm talking about it's like we need to change the way we teach this we need to change the way we talk about it in schools and we need to train our librarians and our teachers on these new rules about Credibility, right? It's so yeah. interesting, and I think parents too. I think parents yeah. need to oh, talk absolutely. to their parents kids need about to. it. But you know, so after the Chris Wallace debate, everyone was like, "Wow, that he was surprisingly not like totally right wing." Yeah, and then I read an article where no, I read an article where someone broke down how he asked the questions, and it was so right wing. And it was Seriously? and when you looked at how what? he phrased things as entitlements, he phrased things like when you look at his phraseology, you look at the way he asked what he how he asked questions about things like social security, about things like terror, they were from a very constructed right wing point of view huh. on those things and it it was leading questions to basically say like this is how it is. And so even when you think that didn't sound like crazy wackadoo, you know, whatever. It actually co- totally was. And so even that kind of stuff of, of realizing what someone's point of view is by the phrasing they're using and how they're constructing something is really interesting. And no one really has that discussion because they're expecting so much the worst, right? They were expecting like her him just to go on her emails. Right, he they, seemed fabulous. They speak to the te- but you don't. So you don't even listen to how the questions are being said anymore because huh. you're just happy he's not asking like insane questions you know and I just it makes me wonder if we have been so bombarded by things on both sides that are so extreme that we've even lost sight of what it sounds like to be neutral like what that even means what that like Edward R. Murrow yeah yeah, like what that does it even exist anymore does that exist yeah neutrality right well I think the problem is when if one side is spewing lies every day and the other isn't, in trying to just get to the truth, you seem ridiculously biased. Like, there's right. no winning. Like, they kept hammering, I can't remember the reporter, she kept hammering Trump on something, and it looked like she was being so much harder on him. But he was the one lying. Like, what do you do? Well, I think also, we do have to recognize that the lying does go both sides. There's yeah, definitely... Yeah, absolutely. I'm not... I'm, I'm just saying in this yeah. one case, yes. you know, it was so one-sided that, like, everybody who tried to get to the truth looked biased. Well, also, I mean, yeah, and I don't... I don't have a optimistic view of that for the next four years. I mean, right. we have a president-elect who just says stuff without any evidence. So how do you then even, like that to me is right. the most difficult He's thing. He's not like, even retweeting links. He's no. just tweeting without even showing a link for proof. And so what do you do? I mean, I think that's a really right. good question. And then yeah. how do parents talk about it and how, you know, I feel so bad for the thousands of digital citizenship activists like over the last decade trying so hard for us to be kind online and teaching all these values when now we have a president-elect who's just He's not nice online. So that's a really difficult. um, That's something that I don't remember having to uh, deal with, you know? And I think that the challenge is also in that, like you kind of referred to this, is that people don't necessarily 
care about the truth. So it's not even that we want them to understand what is true. Like, they don't care. And so mm-hmm. how, how do you then get people to care? Right. Right. And I think, you know, I, I'll keep going back to the, the work of some of the organizations that I work with, like the News Literacy Project, that is going in and really breaking down how to just understand the news, how to think about it, and, and what does a fake news site look like versus uh, a real news site. And, and really, like, we have to get that detailed and that specific, and we have to make sure that that's a priority in within the curriculum. I mean, this is the world that our kids are living in, and we have to figure out how to get that message to parents right. and to older people who are some of the worst offenders, you know, because they're, they're just totally sharing the worst offenders. their emails and, like, sharing things. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? They don't understand what's true. But, I, you know, I do have to have hope because the one thing that this, like, this period of post-election is doing is shining a light this is a huge problem. Like, this right. is a crisis in our democracy if news can't be trusted. Like, that's a big problem, and we have to pay attention to it, and we can't just blow it off. Like, we can't just be like, well, you know, there's always going to be fake news. Not that right. that's what you guys are doing, but this is what I hear sometimes. Like, no. We have to attack it. Yeah. We have to make mm-hmm. sure... You know, Facebook understands what they can do. We have to understand what the user can do. And Google, and right? Google, they said like, those fake news sites right. had played the SEO game and they were coming up in mm-hmm. top yep. on those searches. And so even we just understanding, I mean, a lot this. of those early on, a lot of those came from a site called, you know, abcnews.com.co. That's crazy. And everyone sees it and is like, well, it's ABC News, you know, and it's made to look like the ABC News website. You know, how do you, it, it's well, really ABC's difficult. Well, ABC's got to get on that. But it's really difficult <laughs> like, for the, end user to be able to look at that and discern, right. oh, this is an I don't know, news. but sometimes I do think, not that this is probably going to get everyone off social media, but, you know, even the night of the election or the day after the election, there were some things going, um, you know, my feed was very liberal. I, you know, I have a very blue state feed, and, but there were things that were popping up that next day that I was like, guys, like, I know you're upset, and I know you're angry, mm. but this stuff isn't true. Right. And I said it and I was like guys we have to be careful like we can't spread lies if we're so concerned about you know other people spreading lies and I think that in some ways we also have to be responsible for what we see Mm -hmm. and and I remember you know right after the election the next day there was that blue map what like if millennials had voted Mm -hmm. and everyone was sharing it and I knew why they were sharing it, because they really wanted it to be true, right? right. And I just said, like, can someone just tell me where it came from? And like, no one could. Right. No, and just tell me where it came from. And then people did pass, like, send me links of articles about it, which was great. But no one could necessarily point right. to that mm-hmm. particular map and where it came from. And not that it, it, based on the other articles, it seemed like a lot of it was actually there's some basis of truth there. But the point is, is that no one knew and that's what we all have to do is be willing to say I really want to believe this but right. where are you getting right. this Did information it come from a credible source yeah just right. let me know yeah. and and if people stop like block me because I'm no fun like <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the social media party pooper I don't care oh no like, I was doing the same thing there was yeah. this one study I think it was from BuzzFeed don't quote me on that but I'll, I'll link to it where they, they spent two weeks going through every single post from uh, nine different sites three that they counted as reputable three that were right wing three that were extreme liberal and they even with the liberal sites which I think a lot of people think are way more truthful they still found 19% of the stories from those three sites were completely false 
And my friends were sharing them all over the place. And that's the thing. When I would call them on it, the pushback was incredible. They want them to be true so much. Right. It's exactly. They want it to be true. They want it to be true. And I think that... You know, again, like we can't just put up our hands and say there's nothing we can do. We have to keep talking about this. We have to, uh, you know, attack it. Like we have to keep calling people out. Yeah, keep calling people out. Be responsible users. And like, you know, from a parenting perspective, like you got to find out if your school is teaching this stuff to your kids. Right. You know, you've got to find out. And they're definitely out. not. I mean, I'm going to tell you that, like, not only are they not, but they're not teaching civics anymore. Like, there's, a, and I actually think they're tied. I do too. I yeah. think this fact that schools have dropped civics and that people don't understand how our government works. Totally agree. That they don't understand why 535 <laughs> is called 535. Like, you know, or 538. Like, you, you yeah. have those, all this, like, stuff going on, and people don't understand how, they don't know how, they think Judge Judy's a Supreme Court justice. Like, oh yeah. that is a, that is a real, fact well, when they took a poll and like that basic stuff of wow. not knowing how your government <laughs> but if you don't understand how your government works then you're going to understand fake stories about your government right, right. that's going to mm-hmm. start there absolutely and, and fake promises yeah. by candidates and the fourth estate the press is part of our constitution like this is part of right it's not like free speech like you just get to be the biggest jerk that's not the cornerstone of free speech and right. free press in this country it is Freedom, right? It's freedom from government interference. It's freedom of you know those things. And I do. I think it's like shameful that we I don't agree. Specific. And I think that's a really good connection that you made because I think news literacy and media literacy is very connected to civic engagement and civic education. And you know, we're our next conference is going to be in Chicago, and Illinois just passed a bill that mandates civic education in high schools. Hmm. So they're working really hard to train their teachers on and make sure their teachers get the mm-hmm. professional development they need to to support that curriculum. And it's so important. It's so important. It's like Especially if you look at just this election and so much was said specifically from uh, Donald Trump that he just there's he just like the president doesn't have anything to do right. with some of those things like and having to convince my daughter you know like no he couldn't do that even if he wanted to the way that it's set up and and i think that that level i think that not having that knowledge also leads to fear yes. and leads to ignorance mm-hmm. and leads mm-hmm. to uh the spreading of lies all that stuff i i couldn't agree more that we have to do better in our education system to teach gosh, to teach our kids the stuff they need to know. Right, because it's your government. And especially if they want to create change, right? If they want to be involved and use social media in a positive way and try to create change, then they need to understand how it works. Right. So what are some resources, as we wrap up here, do you think, for teachers or parents who are... Well, I think there's mm-hmm. some really good stuff out there right now um, about like what sites to look for and, and how to be careful about like fake website um, links and stuff. I, you know, I can't say enough about the News Literacy Project for schools. They really, really dig into news and and how to tell like what how to know what to believe. That's their tagline. Um, you can go to our website, namely.net. We have a lot of resources, especially the organizations that we work with. Um, Common Sense Media has some good stuff um, on on 
these kind of issues. Cyberwise.org is another site that's really great for parents. Um, but I do think what we need to do, like my call to action is like, how can parents and schools work together? And how can we have some community conversations about this stuff? And how can we, you know, demand better um, from our schools, from our press, from our social media feeds, all of that? Because like I said, this is like this is a real crisis and we need to be civically engaged about not letting it slide yeah not letting Mm -hmm. it be okay like we can't let this be okay i don't want to live in a post-truth world like i do not want my kids growing up in post-truth era like that's not okay with me someone said this to me the other day like the new york times is so annoying because it doesn't update all day and i'm like because there's nothing to update There's not, I tell this to my students all the time. You know why the 24 hour news networks talk about nothing half the time? Because there's no news to talk about. There's no news. There's nothing to to just make it up. Yeah. And so funny to be frustrated with the New York Times because, like, why does the front page still look the same four hours later? It's like, that was the news today. (laughs) And they actually wrote articles where they dove down into what's going on. Like, the Wall Street Journal takes time to create those. Yes. And fact check them. Yes. (laughs) So. Right, it's well, amazing. Uh, I mean, it's amazing today how few fact checkers there are. Well, they've cut They're them. Just they've cut none. them from tons of yeah. staffs. That's yeah. another thing. We need yeah. fact checkers. We need editorial yep. teams on on social media platforms, and we need librarians. But we also need when there are sites that devote all of their space to checking facts, we need a way to convince people that they're real. Like you can post all the stuff you want from from Snopes and other places and you'll have people say, I don't believe those sites. Well, right. But at that point, those people are a lost cause. Like that's my feeling. But I feel like those people are now the majority. Yeah, Yeah, like it's it's so, like I was reading an article the other day about how to tell if a news story is fake. And one of the things listed, I wanted to cry. One of the things listed was, if the story is telling you to dox somebody, you know, like, like, yeah. uh, how would you define doxing? Like taking all of their personal information making and, public. and making it public. If a story is telling you to dox somebody, the story might not be real. Oh. I'm like, are we at that point? Like, is that really? What? Right. I would love to see that article. I, it, it was, send it, to me. It, it was the one, um, I'll find it, but it was the one somebody put together a list of all the fake news sites, mm-hmm. and then they, they had, um, uh, you know, like bullet points on how to tell if a, if a site is fake. And I was like, if we're at that point where somebody needs to be told that telling people to dox somebody might mean that a story is fake, like, there is no hope. There's well, no how hope. about the other article that was going around about the fake news sites, and it was CNN... MSNBC. You didn't see that list? No. Yeah, of course, because someone didn't like that list. So they put together their own list, and it was CNN and MSNBC. and I'm going to cry. This is like the most depressing episode ever. No, no, we're not. There is hope. Our children are the hope. There is hope. Our children are the hope. Our schools are the hope. We can do something about this every single time we're on social media. I just with seventh graders, and I said, everything you guys hate about social media is human being based, which means you guys as human beings can make the change on social media. Mm-hmm. Like, they really can. Like, the problems on social media are human <laughs> problems. Right. We can make a difference. We have to. Please. We created it. Yeah, we uh, created it, and we can... We can... Undo it. Undo it, or help <laughs> it, or change it, or do... Please tell you, me. You're a lot more hopeful than I am. <laughs> I am. God, everybody just share Snapchats with, like, your dog face. Yes. And I just want to put cat pictures. Can we just share that? All yes. my cat pictures. Just right. check this out my kids' RC the, photos. Uh, right? I remember the dawn of the internet. It was the democratization of information, and we all thought it was the greatest thing ever, and it just turned on itself. Like, yeah. I think you know. it happened too fast. That's why we all have to, like... 
Yeah. All right. Take a breath. Okay. Uh, Let's take a breath. Thank you, Michelle, for joining us again. We will have links to everything we talked about except fake news articles. We will not have links (laughs) to the fake news articles. And we will be right back with our Bites of the Week. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. And we are back with our Bites of the Week. Nothing fake. No fake news here. (laughs) All real stuff. Amy, we're starting with you. Okay, so mine is um, a movie based on a true story, and from what I can tell, based very, very closely on the true story. A couple of weeks ago, my daughter and I went to see Loving. And, you know, I, I, I think it's a really important movie for right now because it shows you just how recently some of the things we take for granted were codified into law and how easily they could be taken away. And it it was, uh, Loving is, you know, it's, if you don't know it, it's the story of Richard and Mildred Loving, who um, their their case went to the Supreme Court and their case was the one that knocked down the rest of the, the laws in the United States that prevented people of different races from getting married. I think at that point there were 20 having relations in some places probably yeah Yeah. in in 23 or 24 states in 1967 there were still laws saying that you couldn't get married if you were different races wow and i know it's so recent like this is this is is, you you forget how far we've come that was five years before i was born that's insane um it's a very beautiful movie it's a very slow movie. I think it's the kind of movie that has to be seen in a theater so that you're not distracted by everyday life. I've heard it's almost too understated. Yeah, right. Like, they they doesn't anyone get angry? Right, like, they (laughs) don't try to dramatize anything. These were quiet people who were just in love and just wanted to live near their families and couldn't because they, they pled guilty to an illegal marriage and were told that if they came back to their home state of Virginia together for the next 25 years they would have to go to prison and they they just were really quiet people they didn't even go to the supreme court for their case they just you know they they didn't care um and the movie really reflects who they were and my daughter's 12 and i think that she her assessment of it was incredibly accurate she said it was really beautiful a little slow but a great movie Hmm. so um you can see it it's not a movie that's going to be seen by a ton of people I it's really, actually doing really very well it. is it doing yeah. that makes me so for a small happy. movie it's doing quite well that makes me happy the acting in it is incredible right. everyone thinks she's going to be nominated oh she has to be yeah. him too like the fact that he's I forget what part he played but he was like some dashing person and so oh um, um Baz Luhrmann's um what movie am I thinking of? Uh, the Great Gatsby. Oh, like yeah. he, he like plays this like oh, handsome, da- yeah, like this handsome, dashing man. And right. then you look at him in Loving, and you're like, oh my god, that's <laughs> incredible acting. Um, but I'll link to my review of it. It was fantastic and just really fitting for these times. I think. Great, Andrea. Okay, so these times, these times are when I'm playing with tech toys. <laughs> <laughs> that's your escape. That's my escape. Um, and really also trying to find a gift for my son. And he never listens to this, so I can tell you this is what I'm giving him. <laughs> the Jaybird X3 Bluetooth wireless earbuds. Oh, I have to know how they are. I'm so dying for wireless. the thing about these is, first of all, I don't have an iPhone 7 because I, I like my headphone jack. But a lot of people do have an iPhone <laughs> 7. And they now have to go out and get Bluetooth 
earbuds or, a dongle, or headphones right? or a dongle. Or a it dongle. comes with the dongle. It comes okay. with a dongle, but then you can't. And I'm constantly charging my phones. You can't charge and listen. Oh yes, just, I have oh. my dual dongle from oh. Falcon that has the dual. Plug. That can be your <laughs> bite of the week. It has the plug for charging and the plug for the. <laughs> what a pain in the ass. A dual anyway. dongle. I'm keeping my iPhone six, and so is my son. But he's getting Jaybird X3 because so they go around the back of your head. Mm-hmm. But this is the third generation, hence X3. So they're that much smaller. Okay. They've got the driver down. I don't want a yeah. big old thing around my head. Uh, some of them have that fin thing that you can fit in your ear right. to keep it in. I don't like you know, that so they have all the things that you can use to keep it in your ear. But these have the fit that really fits. Like you can take them to the gym, you right. can hop around, and they're not going to fall out mm. of your ear. Plus, they've increased the battery life, so they're up to about eight hours of battery oh, life, good. which I have to say for something this small is awesome. And also for the gym, they're sweatproof. Oh, that's Ooh. great. So you can wash them off. You can get them a little bit wet. You know, they're not going to... And the Bluetooth's working okay? So this is what I've heard, is that a lot of these don't work so well if you're like walking around New York City. That the interference is just not you great. Know, I, I use my my Bluetooth headphones all the time and I can tell you that the one thing, the two things that affect it most, if I put it in my back pocket, doesn't tend to work great for some reason. And if I have a bunch of other stuff open, it makes a huge That's difference. So, so I have to close everything except what I'm listening to and then the sound's usually perfect. Okay. Otherwise, yeah, huge interference. But you're also, I mean, you're also getting compressed audio. Don't forget, right. when you're using Bluetooth, it's compressing the audio file. But if you're not listening file. to Beethoven, it doesn't yeah. really matter. Yeah. <laughs> but you want, you don't want it to cut in and out. Right. You know, yeah, right. And, that's and what sucks. These... These are pretty, they're pretty powerful, so I would recommend trying them. Okay. Yeah, especially if you don't have a headphone jack or you have a dual dongle on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many thingies in my bag, it's annoying. Um, so my bite is actually, it's the Fresh Air podcast of Terry Gross's interview with Trevor Noah for his book, Born a Crime, which oh. I haven't read yet, but I'm now totally going to to read and I had no intention of doing that I could care less to, quite honestly like I think he's charming and lovely but I don't think he's great on the daily show mm-hmm. um, I actually just think he should have had his own show like a brand new show I don't think, I think he's getting better for the record oh that's, I think that he's growing sense. into he's it he's finding it um, I mean I think it was just a hard I think they should have probably stopped the show and started with something it was too much to it was follow. too much to follow but anyway you so, so you talked about loving and that being 40 years ago how about 20 years ago with apartheid like so he was it's called born a crime because he was illegal Mm -hmm. because he his mother's black and his father's white and him being born was a crime so he had to so there were regular police sweeps all the time johannesburg everyone in your house had to be registered sound familiar (laughs) and they came in and they got the papers and they would check everyone in the house to make sure there was no interracial living and mingling and he would have to hide under the bed his grandparents had to hide him it is the craziest story of how he grew up and his mother just sounds like the most incredible person alive like brilliant she converted to Judaism, so he had a bar mitzvah. Oh. I mean, the whole story was just him and his mom, because no one knew what a bar mitzvah was. <laughs> she was, like, reading a bunch of Hebrew to him, and she's like, you're a man. And he was like, what? Um, and she's still Jewish. Like she said, she sends her, like, you know, he gets, like, a Shana Tova, <laughs> emails and everything. But he speaks, like, eight languages. His mother speaks eight languages. And he had, it was just, it's such an incredible interview. He talks about his view of language, basically, which is why he can so good at doing accents and voices on oh. the show. But he talks about how, depending on the language he's using and who he's talking to, they see his color differently. Mm-hmm. 
like because he can he speaks Zulu, he speaks all these African languages, and then they they will accept him as black. But then when he speaks German, <laughs> you know, he can mm-hmm. he looks more white. And how he's gotten out of all these situations, and then how he learned that from his mom because mm-hmm. his mom knew that her ability to speak all these languages literally could get her out of situations wow. that she needed to That's get out of. That's very cool because we speak. It's, I mean, especially here in the United States, we speak English, and we just expect the rest of the so, world to follow suit. Yeah, it's such a good interview, like because it's just a total side of him you mm-hmm. wouldn't expect or know. Because I feel like that was maybe part of the problem with The Daily Show and how they did this. That people didn't know him. They didn't know him. And they never gave you a chance to. Like, they didn't do any real press on who he was. They didn't do it. They were just like, it's Trevor Noah. And everyone was like, a what? A who? Mm -hmm. So this seems to me like it actually should have come first, maybe. Like his book and his, you know, but he probably couldn't have gotten the book deal. Um, But anyway, it's a great interview with Terry Gross and it totally made me want to buy the book and I actually think I'm going to. I might maybe do it on... I was thinking about actually doing it on audiobook. Does he read the audiobook? Yeah, because he reads the audiobook and my guess is that's probably really good. So if you have a long car trip and my guess is probably a great story for your kids. I wish I had known because we just drove to D.C. last weekend and back and it was like five hours each way that would have been a good car yeah I have a feeling that's what it is me a good audiobook so anyway that is my bite of the week Um, that is it for us thank you ladies see you next week thanks Andrew see you next week you can find us on facebook.com slash parenting bites we will have links to everything we talked about of course on parentingbites.com we will obviously have links to all that and share it and tweet it and all that good stuff until next week happy parenting awesome